My daddy may now make an announcement. clear about that. Um, I came into the studio to record the show, and what I what I do is I, I come... Hi, this is the Bitterest Bill podcast. Um, I come into the studio, and I uh, always seem to think of ways to procrastinate starting the show. And so um, what I've done today is what I, I think I subconsciously try to do subconsciously, which is I have procrastinated until it's time to actually get back to some work. So, but because I'm Facebook live streaming, um, I can, I'm kind of rationalizing it by saying that I'm uh, doing a technical experiment. So hello, welcome to the show. This is The Bitterest Pill. This is a podcast. I've been doing this podcast since November uh, 3rd or something, uh, 2004. Uh, and there are a few things to go over and, uh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I have such mixed feelings about this. Okay. First of all, I can't, it's so funny. I, t I spent tangent number one, um, about five minutes ago, as I was procrastinating, I began to develop the theory that uh, I'm going deaf in one ear because I put my earbuds in and was testing the microphone, and one side was much louder than the other. And I've got this big mixer right here. So I check the, you know, I, I check the mixer, and I check all, there are all these knobs on it. And one of the knobs on each little row is for, you know, the balance, right? So I check every balance thingy, and they're all straight up and down. So they all should be perfectly centered left to right, right? But because I'm a middle-aged man, I'm fairly convinced that I'm just going deaf in one ear, my left ear. I don't know. I think that's my telephone ear. You know, before, right? Before uh, iPhones, that that was my telephone ear. And now that we have earbuds and iPhones, it's still, it's still my telephone ear. So I thought I was going uh, deaf. It turns out the, the earbuds are broken. Well, Dan, why are your earbuds broken? Uh, you bought them like a week ago. And the answer is because they're a week old. Why wouldn't they be broken? So, okay, let, let's, let's, can we, we're just going to get this over with. My name is Dan Class. I, I do this podcast in my garage. And I've been doing the podcast, like I said, since whenever I said it was. And it doesn't really matter. Uh, and I found out <laughs> Facebook just said, congratulations, this is your most watched live video yet. Yeah, that's because it's my first live video. So, yes, by, by definition, I suppose congratulations uh, are in order. So 
Uh, okay, so I found out a couple weeks ago, and then it was announced, I don't know, this Tuesday, that your humble narrator, Dan Class, me, yours truly, uh, it, in August, is going to be inducted into the pod, uh, Academy of Podcasters, uh, or Academy of Podcasting, Podcaster Hall of Fame. Now, if you, okay, so listen, if you ask Dan the Bitter's Pill persona uh, how he feels about that, which is like confident me, you know what I mean? Uh, arrogant me. If you ask persona me, of course I'm going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Who else ha has for whatever many years it's been? opening up their soul on the interwebs and revealing everything about themselves at, at the complete and utter detriment of their entire lives. Who else has done that but, but yours truly? Now, now, if you ask actual Dan Class, the actual uh, neurotic human whatever... Uh, listen, it's a it's a huge honor. I mean, let, don't, please don't let what I'm about to say cloud the fact that I think it is a gigantic honor. I'm so I'm actually in disbelief. I, I'm yeah, I'm actually in disbelief. And I've said this to to all my friends, and now I'll say it to all the rest of my friends, which is you guys. Um, <laughs> Listen again. It's a great honor. I can't wait. It's going to be a big night. It's going to be a big party. It's going to be. I have to, you know, give an acceptance speech or whatever. I am experiencing such survivor's remorse that it's a, it's a little bit embarrassing. And the reason I say that is because I mean, if I had to argue that I. Whether or not I belong in some sort of podcasting hall of fame, well, of course I would argue, yes, as any rational person who's been podcasting for over a decade, yeah, you absolutely would mount that argument. But if you say, well, Dan, should you be in before this person? Or this person? or I'd say, well, no. I mean, eventually I'd love it if you guys had a spare trophy lying around in five years after you've inducted everyone else I can think of. Then, yeah, of course, I would love to be recognized uh, because it would be a sign that maybe the last 14 years of me spilling my guts into the microphone haven't been for naught. But and, and this isn't false humility because uh, false humility is like a quick thing. You just go, oh, <laughs> you shouldn't have. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I just, it just, I, I, listen, I'm honored and I'm thrilled and I have nothing but great thoughts about it, but I really, I really, truly, as it turns out, I'm very conflicted about the whole thing. Um, so the other nominees, let's blow through that real quickly. Um, so the other nominees, no, excuse, we're not nominated. We're in. We're in. We're in I, and when they called me, I thought, oh, I was nominated to be. No, you're in, Dan. They, it, Gary Leland called me. He had to ex explain it to me four times. So the other inductees, though, are Brian Ibbett, 
of Coverville. Of course, Brian Ibbett should be in the Podcaster Hall of Fame. Elsie Escobar. Well, yeah, of course, Elsie, Elsie, I mean, arguably one of the most pioneering women in podcasting from the early days, particularly, uh, you know, audio podcasting. The next person, uh, and I hope I pronounced her name right, Luria Petrucci. Do you know Luria Petrucci? She's a nice Italian girl, Luria Petrucci. Maybe you know her by the name Callie Lewis. Callie Lewis is going to be, of course she is. Of course. Who, who could say for, for 10 seconds that Callie Lewis shouldn't be in a podcast? Absolutely. And Rob Greenlee from Spreaker, who I think I might have met once. Who, who I believe is, I, I admit I'm not as aware. I'm sorry, I'm not as aware of his country. I'm I'm just not. That's just I'm just I I live in a box in my garage. I don't. I'm gonna read it. Uh, trust me, I will do my due diligence before the thing, and so when I meet him, I will uh, be very flustered. Where I'm going with this is. I, 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 like, I need to, just for my own sanity, put a list together of all the people, and, and I guess a lot of it depends on, like, well, who are you going to put in next year? Like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how, please don't skip anyone. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, like, I just don't feel like I should be before, oh, God, there's so many. Like, okay, so Donna Drew are in, right? Adam Curry's in. Todd Cochran, Murr, Sigler, Dan Pena, who I'm only aware of kind of after the fact. But listen, Dave Slusher. I should not be, I should not be before Dave Slusher. Uh, Michael Butler, Michael W. Go, Michael W. Gohagen, Tim and Emil Berkwin. Do you know who I'm talking about? Tim and Tim Berkwin. Listen, I'm going to podcast. Tim Berkwin put a a podcasting conference together in 2005. So every time you go to a podcasting conference, thank Tim. Michael W. Gohagen goes without saying. Huge podcaster, especially in the beginning with the Disney podcast. He's the reason that, that Podcast Solutions happened. The book that he and I authored together. Great radio. I mean, it's just great radio. I think he didn't he buy... What did he buy, like, Gigavile? It's, listen, it's crazy. Grant Pachoco from Dr. Floyd. Oh, I can't, I, oh, what's his name? What about him? What about that? What about Ron Plouffe? What about, uh, oh, one of my good friends, I'm, I'm Adam Christensen. What about, uh, the Godcasters, right? We got Craig Patchett. We got, uh, Steve, uh, whose last name is... I really should prepare for the show. I mean, that's the thing. You're putting some—I mean, you're, I hope you're aware of what's happening. You're putting someone in the Podcaster Hall of Fame who does absolutely no show prep. Right? I, I go—I'll I'll admit, I, I do—like, I go into classrooms or whatever. I consult, and I'm always like, well, you got to do show prep, and you got to know what you're going to say. And you gotta blah, blah, blah. Do as I say, not as I do, because I don't—right? I should have in front of me— 
uh, like a list, which I don't have. This is my where the list should be of all the people that I want to mention. Lance Anderson, hello, created LA Podcasters, brought pot. I mean, really like pushed for podcasters to have booths at conferences and do the live this. And he went to Cambridge. All the, like it's right. Leo Laporte's in, right? Okay. What about Tony Khan from WGBGBH GBH in Boston? There's got to be NPR people. And I'm not, again, I'm not, I just, I just, please, can you just put all those people in next year? Can you open it up and just, uh, right, rid me of the guilt that I feel? Now, grand, when I make my speech, trust me. <laughs> you will not see any guilt, my friends, because I'm oh, man. I'm going to give everybody credit. Who else? Did I say Dave Jackson and Paul Colligan? Keith and the girl? Keith and the girl! If, right? Keith and the, whatever. If Keith, next year, seriously, if Keith and the girl, I'm not, I'm going to just, like, hand mine back in. Okay. Uh, Rob Houston says there are no East Coast people in. Interesting. Is that true? I think Dan Pena is from uh, the East Coast. Is that right? Uh, we lost the connection. Darn. Well, I have to keep doing the show. Um, anyway, so I guess it comes to that time where so do I re... Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm back on. All right, this is the last episode of The Bitterest Pill, season one. So season one has been, what, what it was like 360 episodes over the course of 13 or 14 years, whatever. I think that's a pretty good season. I think for, for one season, that's been not so bad, right? So season one was all about Dan. This character, Dan Class, who stay-at-home dad, failing actor, shut-in, raising two children. At the beginning of the series, uh, ser uh, you know, the season, his son was, oh God, I don't even know, six or something. Six. His, his daughter was like one. And he's an East Coast guy. He's raising his kids under the flight path of Los Angeles International Airport. Well, this is the end of season one. Okay. Now, maybe last time should have been the end of season one, but I didn't even think of it. So now is this is the end of season one. So season two will begin next time. The whole premise of the show will have changed. You know what? Maybe last time was, and this is like the thing where I explain next season. So coming in next season. So little baby boy Hudson, my daddy may now make an announcement. In season two, is now a freshman at the University of Southern California. He's no longer the cute little tyke that used to sit on my lap and record his reviews of Christmas CDs. No, he's a six foot two strapping young lad who's going to go out and conquer uh, the world and really just outshine me to the extent that I can't even begin to foresee. 
which is wonderful, which is—listen, I'm, uh, I'm that guy that wants their kid—trust me, I have no problem with Hudson eclipsing me in every way. So far, he's already much taller and better-looking and has great hair. He's musically—he writes better—you know, so, so far, so good. My plan—right? <laughs> My plan has worked. The show, I think— is going to take place in an undisclosed at this point, because I honestly don't know location in Orange County, while my daughter attends an arts high school about 50 miles from here. So the show will no longer, I think, be coming from the flight path, uh, uh, under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport. For the first time, I don't know where it's at, some studio apartment in Orange County from my car, probably, actually. I don't know. I don't know. But but so, yeah, so that's the deal. That's what's happened is suddenly I'm in a Hall of Fame. My son's going to USC. My daughter is going to school in Orange County, which is actually good for my wife, because if her current job doesn't kill her, her commute will be reduced down to like five percent of what it currently is. And um, I'll be an hour away from my garage. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I literally don't know. I just don't know. I don't know about Orange. I don't know anything. We don't know where we're going to live. For now, we're going to come back to the house on the weekends and just stay down there, I guess, a little bit. But my daughter was really on the fence about where to go to school. Now, she got into a great private school in the area, and the, the plan was for her to go there. But honestly, um, so, well, what happens is, and I, I don't think we got into this last time. Maybe we did, and, and, and I'll be fast this time in case I did. But my son is very smart and has worked very hard to get very good grades for a very long time. And since he was a little guy, he's wanted to go to a very prestigious college. Really, like, for a longer period of time than you would expect for a little American boy. You know what I mean? So, when the time comes for him to get the payoff of all this hard work and patience and working and working and working and studying, um, he applies to a bunch of private schools. Now, while he's doing that, I'm learning the whole system of financial aid and how we're going to pay for this. And you get these loans from the government and these are not and these these you pay for first and these you pay for after and all that stuff. Right. And you fill out two sets of paperwork for financial aid. And if you've not gone through this and you're going to go through this, I, I hope I'm not about to mislead you. I'm going to try not to. So one of them is this thing called FAFSA, which is a federal uh, government thing. And then the other one is like a, this, your CSS profile. Okay. But what you do basically is you give them all your info, I think. But like your income, your spouse's income, the value of everything you own, everything you've ever bought, everything you've ever sold. Uh if your kids have any money, what their bank balances are, what your bank, like every, you financially, everything. You just give it to them, hoping that then what they're going to do 
is take these numbers and calculate how much the college should be able to squeeze you for before you crack. That's really pretty, seems to be the goal. I mean, if you want, I can sugarcoat it and I can use a lot of uh, financial aid ease. But the truth is you fill out paperwork to determine your breaking point. And so then what they do is they say, the, the schools each say, okay, we got your paperwork. We know what your breaking point is. Of the difference between what um, the school actually costs and what your breaking point is, that's your need, okay? That's the money that you need from somewhere. That's the money above, like, so there's from no money to your breaking point. That's your expected contribution, okay? So expected contribution based on all those numbers that you gave. But then your need is the difference between the expected contribution and tuition and room and board and books and all that stuff. So that's your need. So. And the need is basically what you end up, what, beg, borrow, steal, whatever, right? The expected contribution, you theoretically should be able to pay based on your income, I thought. So I don't know where we got a number, but we got a number back from one of these systems that was our expected family contribution. Well, okay, if this were a court of law, this is what I would say. At some point, I became convinced through some means that I cannot fathom, that I knew what that number was, our expected contribution number. And let's say I thought that number was X. And X, listen, it would hurt. It would hurt. It's a lot more... <laughs> It's a lot more money than we've ever paid for anything, ever. But, well, listen, I thought, well, listen, oh, God. Maybe we should consider this public school thing, the arts school down in Orange County, because X is a lot of money. So Hudson gets uh, accepted very quickly into what I think last time I referred to as University 11. And I'll name names. It doesn't matter now. It's too late, right? So Chapman University is a school that probably if you live outside of California, you're not aware of. But Chapman University, their film school is among the best in the country. The university isn't very well known, but the film program is very good. And basically, they're constantly trying to pull kids that would otherwise go to NYU or USC or somewhere like that. So Chapman apparently really wants Hudson. And so they offer him a nice chunk of money. And what I mean by that is like free, just like off the top, give you a reduced price like we please. OK, here it is. Big, like five digit number. For four years, coach, just please come here, and that's all your tuition is going to be right there. 
So we're like, this is amazing. Hudson, you got into one of the top film schools, and they want you so bad. They love you so much. They give you all this money. And, blah, blah, blah. and he's like, eh, yeah, whatever. So we kind of write that off to uh, teen stress. Like, he's really stressed out about getting all these uh, acceptances and rejections and all that, right? Now, so at one point, um, he really wanted to go to UCLA. And we even took him to a college counselor-type person who really knew what she was talking about and really gave us some great advice. But one piece of advice she gave us was she said, listen, how important is it to you, Hudson, to go to UCLA? And then separate from that, how important is it to you to go to UCLA and be in their film program? And at that time, Hudson said, it is more important for me to go to UCLA, period, than to go to UCLA film. Okay, so he was really focused at that time on UCLA. So the lady said, well, then tell you what, make it easy on yourself and apply to UCLA. Because the film program's hard to get into. You might get squeezed out. So just apply there. Okay. So he does. So to apply undecided or whatever, you just apply. So he applied to UCLA. He applied to Berkeley I think undeclared or something. And then a couple other really competitive schools that are also here in California you may not have heard of. Um, now, there's this cluster of five schools. They're called the Claremont Colleges, I think. I, I've, I, I always get their names mixed up. One of them is called Harvey Mudd. He's not, he didn't apply to Harvey Mudd. But it's those schools that are with Harvey Mudd. He applied there. And then he applied to... Uh, for specifically for screenwriting to Chapman, LMU, NYU, USC. I think that's it, right? Now, for those programs, because it's screenwriting, you have to send them writing, a lot of writing. Now, you know, there's a lot of writing for college no matter what, but you have to also send these programs scripts. Like, you want to be a screenwriting major? You got to show us that you're pretty, right, you're pretty much a graduate, right? So he did a lot of writing. With his, uh, with the exception of his really super backup schools, he did not get invited to go to any school that he did not submit screenplays to. Conversely, every school that he submitted screenplays to accepted him. Uh, I don't understand it. Uh, you should see this kid's res. You know, like, who played Romeo and was the captain of the robotics team? Are there that many of those guys? I, you, uh, okay. So how he didn't get into <clears throat> UCLA and Berkeley, I have no idea. But, so yeah, so LMU, NYU, blah, 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 blah. What we don't realize is happening while all this is going on is... He really just cares about USC. Now, I don't even know when the switch happened from UCLA to USC, because that actually was before any announcement even got made. 
And it could have just been that he wanted to get into UCLA because it's a lot cheaper than any of the private schools, right? But suddenly we realize, no, this guy actually really just wants to go to USC, period. That's it, right? And he got in. He got a box in the mail one day with a big crimson shield on it. And trust me, uh, when you're accepted into school, uh, excuse me, when you're not accepted into school, they don't send you a big box. They send you an envelope. You know that, right? It's just a th I mean, if they could get away with a postcard or an email, a lot of them actually did. How would you like that? Your rejection just is like an email, like, yeah, whatever. Well, eventually, we get the financial aid package from the other schools. And the one we really focus on, I don't think I even saw the one from NYU, was USC. USC, now listen, USC, I love you. I'm not, I'm just, this is just me learning how reality works. <laughs> Apparently, okay, so... When they're figuring out your contribution, you know, like your breaking point, I don't know where I got the number I got, this X number that I thought was really high. I don't know where I got that number. I think it was, I, so I, I tried to kind of Sherlock it backwards, and I realized that somehow I got that number by misunderstanding something Hudson told me based on the FAFSA which is the federal one, which I think is predominantly used by public schools. But apparently the other one, the CSS profile, is the one that the private and more elite schools focus on. And until someone really super explained it to me when I had numbers in front of me, I didn't understand a primary difference between the two. The primary difference is one of them does not ask you how much equity you have in your home. And one of them does. Which means one of them doesn't really, right? How, how much in theory your theoretical, <laughs> right? Because to me, equity in the house isn't money. That is kind of like this theoretical magic money that in theory is like aliens. Like, Dan, do you believe in aliens? I believe it's possible that there are aliens. I believe it is possible that there's life on other planets and other galaxies. Do I know? Can I touch it? No. Just like I... Oh, someone's calling me. I believe that we have equity in the house. And that that belongs to us. But I, until I can touch it, it's not real. Hold on. Hello? Oh, hey, buddy. What time is it? But yeah, are you, are you going to be there at four? Oh. Oh, that... Yeah, I'll shoot for that for sure. Okay. I'll see you, buddy. All right. Bye. That was Hudson. He's been in Ohio for a week. All right, we're going to have to... Wait, I don't even know what time it is. 
All right, so we got we got like five minutes, but it is getting hot in here. Can you? Am I even still live streaming? First of all, am I live streaming, Wendy? And second of all, are my lips in sync with my voice? Because I was going to use all this other software and whatnot to make the whole thing a lot uh, sexier. Is not really, but um, that really screws up everything. Okay, so. So listen, so, so the short version of the story is this. In Hudson's heart of hearts, he wanted to go to USC. And when we got the financial aid packet from them, their idea of what, <laughs> right, because our friend who works there said, oh, you know, the great thing about USC is they cover or they pride themselves in covering 100% of your need which I was like, that is fantastic, because I thought our contribution was going to be X. So, right, if all we have to pay is X, again, a gigantic amount of money. Don't, don't get fooled. And they're going to, right, that's, that's unbelievable. Well, the way USC does math is different than the way, for instance, I do math. When I do math and I figure out what we can afford, we can't afford anything. Really. And like, we're freaking out paying what we've been paying. And they know what we've been paying and they, they, you know, they know what Toulouse school costs and the house and the car, they know everything. So my idea of what we can afford is actually like X minus 10, okay? So I think we should be at X minus 10. I thought we were going to be at X. USC thinks we can afford almost 2X. Almost 2X. To the point where we essentially, they think, God, God bless you, we can pay cash for USC. Now, how we would do that I guess is sell the house and live in the car for four years and then work ourselves back. I mean, I, I, again, because I am not, <laughs> you know what I mean? I am not a math whiz. I don't know anything. What I'd like to do now that we're, because we've committed now we're part of the, we're going to work it out. It's going to get worked out. We're going to, people are going to rent the house. It's, it's this whole plan. And that's why we're going to Orange County. We're going to Orange County, so eventually, once we wrap our heads around it, we can rent out this house. I will actually lose... Oh, God, I can't even say this into the microphone because it feels like blasphemy. I will lose access to Studio G, the drywall box in my garage built by my cousins, the load-bearing studs. See, do you see why it's the end of a... Se like, season one is now over? But we've we're part of the Trojan family now. And, and it, I'm scared to death. I'm scared, you know what I mean? Like, I have to get a job. I have to right, and which is fine. I'm I I want a job very badly. If uh, uh, I'll send you my resume. It's not that I don't want to work. I I do want to work, and I've been applying for jobs. Um, now that I'm in the podcasting hall of fame, I don't know what, uh, will that get me a job at Libsyn? I have no idea. 
if it would, I would, I would gladly work there. Um, I'm scared of the commitment, but I won. Melissa and I won. And I'm not saying for us to win, someone else had to lose. It's not a zero-sum game. I don't like zero-sum games. I am competing against myself. And the worst-case scenario or what I fear might happen, uh, and I'm pitting that against what I hope will happen. And... And I feel like we won. I feel like we were dealt some cards and we made some decisions, decisions that seemed really different from decisions that other parents have made about how, uh, you know, who raises the kids and where the money is spent and where the money is allocated and not, you know, like all, all those things. I feel like so far... You know what I mean? Like, we won. Like, I, in whatever bizarre way, a total incompetent, that's me, was the major caregiver, primary caregiver, for someone who got into what I, at least I can say, from, from my point of view, a very prestigious school, his dream school. And so when I get down on myself about certain decisions I've made or decisions I haven't made, opportunities that have never come my way or worse yet, opportunities that were right in front of me and I didn't seize them with the gusto that, that maybe I should have, the most important thing Without question, I won. We won. Melissa and I won. It's killing us. But we won. I got to go get Hudson. We will continue this later, but I'll leave, I'll leave you with this. This is crazy. You know, when I first moved to L.A. to work in Hollywood... Um, as soon as you start working, you, you learn very quickly that people say USC in a slightly different tone of voice than any other school. Um, so you, you, you catch on to that very quickly. And then what happens is uh, then people got to start dogging it because it is a very expensive, private, blah, 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 right? So you start to build this feeling that it's kind of just this dated monolith that, listen, if you want to, you know, be a studio executive, that's probably the place to go. But otherwise, you're just, you know, there's a lot of, right? And I, I hope I didn't tell you this yet. So it was during that period between receiving the acceptance letters and the financial aid packets and all that and committing to a school. And I'm driving Hudson home from school one day, and the phone rings in my car. And it's a number I don't recognize, 
but it's a local number. And I, you know, I got a daughter too, so I, I should answer those calls. So I answer the call, and I'm thinking it's my daughter calling from school from some extension that I don't recognize. My phone doesn't recognize, right? And this voice comes over the Bluetooth system in the car and says, hello, this is Professor So-and-so. I'm calling from the University of Southern California. Is this Hudson? And Hudson and I are both immediately dumbstruck. This is so out of the blue. This is so unexpected. Like I, like, uh, 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 but I'm the adult, so I have, right? I like have to keep. I have to talk. I have to say something. So, oh no, this is uh, his dad. He's sitting right here. You're on speakerphone. Blah blah blah. Da da. So this professor from USC. I just wanted to uh, call and say hello, see if you had any questions. I'm the one that read Hudson's scripts. Hudson, uh, I think they were wonderful. I really can't wait. Uh, I hope you come to USC and we can work together. Blah, blah, blah. But if you have any questions, we're totally cool, down to earth, very articulate, but very funny guy. Like exactly the guy that you would cast to be your son's screenwriting professor. Like, surreal level of like perfect casting. Hudson and I don't really say much. We're just like, well, he'd love to go there. We just got to work out the money. <laughs> and, and we hang up. And I go home. And of course, because I Google everybody. So I Google professor so-and-so. To see how intimidated I should be if I run into him during some sort of parental tour. This guy wrote for MASH, Cheers, Frasier, The Simpsons. Uh, I'm for, uh, Mad Men. I'm forgetting all the more recent stuff. Basically like, right there, buddy. In all the shows that we, I mean, I raised, not MASH, but I raised my kids on like, you know, if he had written on I Love Lucy, which he's way too young to have written on I Love Lucy, but you understand that would have really, the whole thing. I'm so, like, I literally don't have the words to express how proud I am of my son. Uh, and with that being said, I have to go get him because he's at school right now. I'm proud of my son, but he doesn't have a driver's license. And he's 18 uh, years and two months old. <sighs> he's been very busy making robots and performing Shakespeare and producing albums. And he has not been driving. And so I had to go to Santa Monica right now and pick him up. Uh, thank you to all of you that uh, were on the stream. Uh, no, not at all, Pete. Trust me. All right, goodbye, all. I really, I'm, I'm not joking. I really have to go. What time is it? Ah, actually, I'm not joking. I'm really late. But um, you've done the hardest job in the world, and you've done it well. Parenting, yeah, Andrea. That's right. Now, uh, there's no other job that I can actually do, but I am able to do the hardest one. That is uh, very true. Anyway, I got to go. Um, goodbye. All right, you know what? That has been The Bitterest Pill. Uh, thank you for downloading and listening to this uh, particular transitional episode, if you will. Um, 
You know, since I last said something just now, you know, just now when I was ending the sh show, just now, since then, this is the magic of podcasting. You know, they can't do this on radio. Since then, I've, uh, I've driven to Arizona and back. And uh, I'm not sure how much we're going to talk about it because there's not that much to... Uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about it, trust me. Anyway, thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Um, season two of The Bitterest Pill begins uh, sometime in, what is this, May? I guess June. Very early June. We spend the next two weeks theoretically making a short for the Collaboration Filmmakers Challenge. And, uh, and then I'll be back to the show. In earnest, I think. Uh, uh, you know, video uh, streaming, the recording sessions again, hopefully with a much better setup. Anyway. And you know this uh, show is absolutely made the possible song, by our Lunar uh, Orbit patrons by at Patreon, patreon.com Darwin. <laughs> Patrons like you keep the show on the internets. Patrons like Megan Brom, Jay Savastino, Peter Chase, Justin Long. Justin Long. I always say that. Every time I say that, Justin Young, you have to change your name. Uh, Jim Cariotis, uh, Mike An uh, or Scott Hamilton, Jeff Short, Rob Houston, Dave Jackson, legendary Dave Jackson, uh, Harold Goldner, Flores, Tom Carroll, David, and... Uh, David Chase and Gerard Cortinez, Pete Chase. Oh wait, did I say Pete? I already said Pete Chase. Don't improvise, Dan. Chris Class, and uh, of course Scott Mercer. Okay, so season two, June, twenty seventeen. Thank you. This concludes season one of the Bitters Pill. Ah. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's duck. Why are you messing with me?